I emailed the New Yorker today to Wait, complain. Really? <laughs> what about? <laughs> Their web archive wasn't working. <laughs> and I had things to say about it. Because I spent $12 to read one article. And I mean, I bought... I spent $12 for 12 weeks of the New Yorker to read one article. <laughs> and then I could not read said article on my laptop in the coffee shop today during lunch. And I was not having that. So I emailed them and I was like, excuse me. <laughs> I was like, good morning. I hate you. <laughs> oh, wait, I can read the exact. I have it right here. I want it. Good afternoon. I am unable to get the archive to let me view any page other than the instructions and cover. I'm attempting to read link to article, name of article, from the year and date of article, <laughs> and I renewed my subscription to do so. I'm unsure why it will not work on my laptop. Any assistance would be great. <laughs> and they said, hi, thank you for contacting support. Would you mind to clear cookies, refresh, and try again, <laughs> as if I don't know anything about anything, <laughs> which I already did. If that does not work, please view the publication on another browser. I'm not downloading another browser. I'm using Google Chrome. It should work on Google Chrome. And see if the problem is still the same. Use this URL. The URL <laughs> I was using. <laughs> using the provided link, please log in. I fucking logged in. Make sure you have successfully logged on. You will know if you did not if you can see log out instead of log in. <laughs> Listen, I to work some browser, extensions and plugins are what cause problems with logging into the website, especially extensions associated with certain websites. You'll need to disable those extensions and plugins to be able to go through. Listen, as someone who works in customer service and who has to literally walk people through stuff I like this... I also work in I customer know, service. I know, but I feel like they're... Everything they're asking you to do, it is not like they like. Oh no! It's everything that every they just, other person They just don't do. understand that you're not like <laughs> 20 years old, and you, these are basic things that everyone does. You are and 20 years old. No, no, no! I no, I understand. I am <laughs> no, 20 yeah. years old, but um, <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Like oh, they yeah, don't know that they think yeah. you're 63 because <laughs> what 20 year old uses this? <laughs> the archives of the New Yorker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, but like if their website isn't working for google chrome shouldn't they know that yes and they should say that and they should fix it they should know so whatever whatever did you, did you read the article did you turn it's it off fine. and turn it back yes I, I ended up reading the article i had to call my mother uh. and i said hi sue can you help me and she said yes and i said i'm very mad and she said what's wrong and i said the stupid fucking website isn't working and she said i can fix it and i said no you can't <laughs> and i made her log in and i walked her through the whole thing and i made her take pictures of it on her phone and she sent it to me she Amazing. pulled it up on her laptop and she took pictures of it on her phone, and she texted them to me. So you read it through the pictures on your mom's phone? Yes. I love that. I For $12. Did, was she using Internet Explorer? Because I'm assuming. Yes. Honestly, which is the worst thing I I've ever heard. I don't. I have a fucking Mac. I don't have Do a Mac. I have, I have a Microsoft Safari? computer, and I don't even She's probably use using Internet Safari. Explorer. It's, like, it's not Internet Explorer now. It's <laughs> Microsoft Edge. What? Yeah, they renamed it. They rebranded it. It rebranded it. It's still the same trash. I don't know if that's true. It is true. Oh, <laughs> then maybe we just aren't updated at work. That's possible. Because I use it. I use Internet Explorer. That's entirely possible. 
Is, does the E look the same? Yeah, it looks the same. Well, it's different now. It's like a different E. It's like more streamlined. Oh, maybe it's different. I should look at it's it. It's more edgy. I don't it's know. literally I called Microsoft it. Edge. I don't work. It's, are your computers Windows 10 and plus? And I don't know what the fuck yeah, my computer it's is. It's, it's a little fine. shitty laptop on two monitors. Can you believe? Hello. Um... We're a podcast. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. Hi. Oh, oh, hi. Welcome to us. Uh, welcome to Can You Believe This Shit. Uh, wow. My name's Dominic. Hello. Hi, Dominic. Hi. 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 We have a, we have a Sam. That's me. Hello. Hi, Hello. Sam. Hi, hi. Sam. We have, a, we, have a, we have a Lydia. I'm Lydia. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Lydia. We have a Zoe. Hello. I'm Zoe. That's me. What? Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> I'm not so. That's I have an eyelash in my eyeball. Can you believe this shit? <laughs> <laughs> and that's us. We're um, we're a podcast. If you didn't know, if you, I mean, yeah. How do you how do you not, what? how do you not know we're a podcast? How did you get here if you don't know that? I just I don't. Know. You're the one who made that assumption that they didn't know. That's fair. I'm sorry. <laughs> they know. <laughs> What do we podcast about? We're a true crime podcast. We're, I mean, but well, not the, just that. Paranormal stuff, mysteries, mayhem, other Legend. stuff. Mothman. Mothman. Disasters, Goat natural man? and supernatural. Cattle fraud. Cattle fraud. And cattle fraud. And not just cattle fraud, all types of fraud. Hoaxes and scandals. Hoaxes and scandals. Various women. <laughs> Hoaxes, scandals, hexes. Scrambles. All right. All right. And we all have some stories to tell, but we um, do. And, and I know who's oh, going first. I, I do know who's going first. I'm going first. You are going first. But who's going? So yes, yeah, so as per last week, we have a story to finish. It's here. It's mm-hmm. happening. And run part two. Part two. It's going to be like so super good. So good. Zoe is going to go after you. Yes. Because of reasons. And Dominic, you're going to have to finish it up. <laughs> Uh, it's Can not the best that? order. It is not the order I would have picked. <laughs> it's not the order I would have picked if 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 Lydia did not have to go first. Yeah, I'm, I'm a laughing. huge bitch. So um, this is happening. Oh no! Hi. <laughs> okay. This is happening. Last I left you. Last time on. Can you believe this shit? I've been waiting to do. And that. that's what you missed on. And that's what you stop. <laughs> You got me all. You got me all. Honestly, that show, it's irresponsible. Um, no. <laughs> I'm okay. Sorry, let me just, just... Okay, yeah. Okay, so last time I was talking about Enron, okay? Ken Lay, the big, big, big shit of Kanye, lost his big moneymaker, his golden juice. Kanye! What? You called him Kanye. Well, I did. A little bit. <laughs> Oops. Um, so... Can you? Can, <laughs> I can't. And Ron. It's and Ron. Older brother. Mr. Yes. Ron. Mr. Yeah. Ron. <laughs> Mr. Ron Weasley. Ken no. Ron. Um, anyway, so he's in jail. Now Kenley's got a big problem. How's he going to make fucking money? So it's 1989, and Congress just passes the Natural Gas Decontrol Act. Okay, so that basically says that the entire natural gas market is totally free of cost regulations, and now they can do whatever they want. Bad news. Um, yeah, bad news bears. They said bad boys. Bad boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bad news bears. Okay, Degre- deregulation is a fucking bitch. But anyway. 
Um, our other major player, Jeffrey Skilling, uh, the hotshot genius with all the big new ideas. Have you ever heard of Jeff Skilling? He sounds like a supervillain. He yeah, is he a does super the weather villain. on uh, WGN. No, it's not him. <laughs> he is a supervillain. And he was a big man on campus. Lay saw him as the answer to all his problems. He had the key to the future of the natural gas industry. So Lay hired Skilling in 1990 because um, Skilling had the big new idea of how to get uh, natural gas trading into the new deregulated market and like how they were going to make all this money because of deregulation. Essentially turning the market uh, of energy dis- distribution into like a natural gas stock market, stock exchange. Um what is natural gas? What does that what does that entail? It's like everything it's like in, it's like the energy source that's like for example your gas utility. Okay. All right, like that. That's just you t- gas utilities is just like one of the things that buys natural gas. There's a lot of other shit that buys natural gas too, but that's like just one of them that we all like know and love, but there's just like okay. a bunch of different uses for it and they were like kind of getting a chokehold on the whole market. I was thinking oil. So I mean, it's like related, but natural gas is like more it's more refined. It's like what it goes to the market as. Um, okay. I thought natural gas was like butane, propane, uh, sulfur, sulfite, like shit that you use to like light your stove. That sounds right, but I didn't like get into the research of what natural gas is. I just know about natural gas trading. Okay. So read me. Read me now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, no. So like. Jeff Skilling's the one with these big ideas to turn into a trade market, essentially. And he's, like, reinventing the entire industry because, like, of deregulation, there's just, like, room for that. So this guy, a little backstory on Jeff. He had graduated from Harvard Business School. Everyone thought he was goddamn brilliant. They were the smartest person they had ever met. Um, And everyone at Enron fucking loved him. But yeah, no, so it was really difficult to disagree with him because he would always escalate it to like an intellectual intellectual like disagreement and he was like really good at outsmarting people in conversations, essentially just like gaslighting and mansplaining like everything in mm-hmm. the corporate scenario. No pun intended with the gaslighting thing, except definitely a pun intended. <laughs> but anyway, so he would just like just dismiss anyone who disagreed with him as just not smart enough to get it. He was always right and didn't react well to being questioned. Naturally, that's the guy you put in charge. Of course, why not? Um, he was like known for just yelling, just do it and just get it done instead of actually listening to people. <laughs> just, Did like, he create Nike or? <laughs> no, he didn't. Okay. But, and if he wasn't in jail he probably would have gotten them for copyright or something sure oh spoiler alert he's in jail that's fine i'm getting ahead of myself i really am but uh so he when he joined the company he pushed really hard for the company to get this special type of accounting treatment known as mark to market accounting okay and this is when shit gets you say mark to market mark to market who's mark no market to market oh yeah market to market (laughs) when you say it fast it sounds like mark to market (laughs) Did you not <laughs> confirm that it was Mark, though? Just now. I did, but then I questioned. I'm like, wait, is it Mark to market or is it market to market? <laughs> and now I'm it? an unprofessional bitch. I thought it was Mark to market. It's not? Well, now I'm questioning myself. I'm pretty sure it is. Can Who's you look Mark? It it's like not Mark the person, but like Mark to market. Like you market <laughs> and then the market. Okay. I don't know why accounting firms name it stuff. It is Mark. Okay. Who's Mark? 
Who's ask Siri? Who's Mark? (laughs) (laughs) He's the guy who came up with it, obviously. But no, okay. So the difference between mark-to-market accounting and normal accounting is normal accounting makes sense. But uh, normal accounting is like... That's for damn sure. Yeah, right? You would like enter into the books the revenue you got from a contract as the revenue arrived. You know what I mean? It's like money comes in, write it down, bam, done. Um, Over the course of the span of the contract. But with mark-to-market, you could enter in all the projected earnings from the entire contract at all, all, like at the moment of the contract assigned. So it's like, oh, well, we're going to make this deal to like sell gas to this uh, like fucking, you know, power plant or whatever for like 20 years. And that deal is going to make us like $4 billion. Well, we'll just write that in all right now. And we're good. And that's in our revenue now. And that affects like our Uh, company health and stuff. So it was like, and it made sense in other markets that weren't the oil market, but the oil market... It doesn't feel like it makes the, sense the natural, in most markets. In most markets, it doesn't make sense. But there's, like, another aspect of mark-to-market that Enron wasn't really doing. Because, um, like, they're so deregulated, no one, no one, no one checked them. No one was them. touching them. Yeah, exactly. So, like, this was the first time this had happened in, like, the natural gas industry. So it was pretty unprecedented. But, um... So they would, like, close a deal to build a new gas plant in Pennsylvania or Texas or some shit. And then in 20 years, they'll say, oh, we'll make this much money and da-da-da, type that in, future revenue, bam, it counts. Jeff Skilling got, like, Ken Lay and the Enron board to approve using mark-to-market. Like, obviously, why wouldn't they? And Skilling also persuaded the Securities Exchange Commission, the SEC, to go for it. Uh, On Jan 30th, 1992, the SEC said they would not object to Enron using mark-to-market accounting. So that's when it starts. Everyone in Enron shits their pants. They're like celebrating with champagne and shit because like now they could use the magic of mark-to-market accounting to add future now projections. Now they can lie to everyone. They could lie they to everyone so and money. say they have so much money and no one can stop them. So like Enron would announce the deal to supply gas to a new power plant in upstate New York and then they would estimate like $4 billion worth over a 20-year span and they would start booking profits right even before the plant started, the plant started running. Um, and they just just did this all over the damn place skillings like division that he was like hired in charge of like had doubled their earnings that year and became the company's new golden goose um like their actual earnings or their projected earnings at this point there really isn't a difference damn yeah you right it's like it's like it's all that matters is the numbers on the paper like okay but like what about the money going into the bank accounts We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. Okay, so, uh, and they were doing this all, they were just like raking in money because they were able to just project that they had it. And then they like, when they did that, that made their stock like go up and Mm. a lot of their like financial health was rooted in the stock. Yeah. So, Enron never actually followed up on the second part of market to market, I'm sorry, mark to market accounting. uh, And that was to periodically reevaluate what they were actually making at the current market uh, price and then adjust the the numbers like so. But they just never did that. And there was like no incentive for Enron executives to make reasonable calls about how their deals would play out because there were no like regulations to check them. So they would like make deals and be like, we're going to make so much money because it's like, there was no reason not to say they were going to make so much money. Uh Um, They just didn't give a fuck when, you know, like there's quotes of like when skilling was asked about what his management philosophy was, he was like quoted as saying, all that matters is money. 
That's all we care about money. Money can buy loyalty. Money's the only thing that, that matters. Everything else is touchy feely nonsense. Wow. Um, psychopath. Uh, so like, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, they also started up one of his new initiatives was to start up this company wide employee evaluate evaluation system where everyone would submit feedback about their peers, bosses and subordinates. And then a review board, uh, of a bunch of employees would get together and like project their picture up on the wall, each employee's picture up on the wall one by one. And then they would like argue and give them ratings one to five. Like um, the house bunny when they were choosing literally like the house bunny. It is exactly like the, the house bunny. Sisters. It is exactly. Exactly Stop like the house bunny, and ten percent had to had to be ones, and all the ones yeah. got fired. How often did they do this? Every six months. Every six months, they can you fire ten percent? Ten percent of their company, right? and no one no one can understand. Like that's not it's not a business model that works. But it's that's a, crazy. It's the company culture that they had. You know what I mean? It was super cutthroat, and it like was paying off for them because it basically fostered this thing where it was like no one gave a shit but no one trusted anybody trust was not what made this company work if i had a backup job but I'd be did open this company to that. work no <laughs> <laughs> if i had a backup job i'd be open to that because i love for the the drama and conforma the drama voted off the island <laughs> oh would you would you want to be you'd want to vote though you wouldn't want to be voted pack your bags and get off my island honestly <laughs> both so they were making all this money off of like, cause like uh, you asked how actually money was coming in and they yeah. would do that. They were like still trading, you know what I mean? They were still like trading these contracts mm-hmm. that they had, What they basically boiled it down to is instead they would like make contracts for a certain amount of oil production for a certain amount of years. And then they like Jeff Skilling had the idea to change it where he would be like, we will buy this contract from you like upfront we'll pay all the money at once and then we'll have the contract and the contract will be good for you know the oil for 20 years and then we'll turn around and we'll sell this contract to someone else and since it was wasn't regulated they could just like yep. up on that price Love that. so like that was how they were actually like getting in money but then on top of that they were like making these like contract bluffs essentially which with the mark to market accounting and banks were giving them a ton of money based off these numbers that they were projected so it was like the bank was like oh they're starting this new project and it's gonna it's making them this much money let's give them more money let's get in on that shit because everyone wanted that money honey (laughs) so everyone's going crazy for the company they just like could not stop shooting up the ranks ken lay owned a bunch of multi-million dollar vacation homes over the country ken ron um ken ron (laughs) Kenron, uh, the guy who fucking originally named the company after bowel system. But anyway, no, uh, he, the company had a fleet of jets that he used for his own personal use for him and his family. Uh, the employees actually called the jets, the lay family taxis. Like his wife would just take a company jet to visit her daughter in Paris or like just, you know, honestly, like whatever. In 1966, skilling became Enron's, uh, like Ken lay, uh, put Skilling as the new president of the company, taking Ken Lay's place, but Lay remained chairman. Um, the company was reporting like $13 billion in a- annual revenue and... Reporting. <laughs> Is that real? <laughs> no. Um, but anyway, uh, they employed over like 11,000 people and operated in over 22 countries. Um, Jesus. Right? I so, can't even name 22 countries. I can't even name 11 people. You can't people. name 22 countries? Do you want me to try? No, but could you, do you think, actually? I probably could. Maybe 22. Okay. It'd take me a while. Yeah. Anyway. We'll do it after. So, <laughs> at this point, like, one financial analyst, one Wall Street financial analyst started to question, like, 
the complex way that Enron did business. And to satisfy Wall Street, Skilling created a division of Enron that was in charge of risk management that was uh, supposed to like assess the financial and political risks of every Enron deal over $5,000, um, um, uh, 500,000. And most of them, most of them basically. And like this got actually, this did a really good job of getting everyone off their backs. They were like, yay, perfect. Now we have a reason to not worry about this. And it's ridiculous because it's an Enron branch of the company. That's like, that they it's like yep we we are going to be assessing our own risks now like, don't worry don't worry we got don't worry. It. we got our backs trust us we got our backs you know it's like wait but this doesn't no don't worry they got it they got it they got it the risk assessors the risk looked assessors at it, looked and at they it. assessed the risk and they said it wasn't that risky meanwhile the rest <laughs> of the company thought of the risk management department as a fucking joke like they, Did they good like they treated them like dogs they, no. were, they were like they were like fuck off don't talk to us we're doing what we want oh, like no. it was really it was a toxic like just toxic masculinity the whole company culture was gross as fuck um sounds like a television high school what it does yeah yeah <laughs> honestly it, it really is because like ken lay not ken lay um jeff skilling was like he was like he used to be a nerd and now he has all this like power and he like got lasix you know suddenly uh, everyone got lasix no one me. was wearing glasses and like <laughs> he started to lose weight and like take his like top executive guys on yeah. these like really dangerous like mountain biking like excursions just to like what? rush adrenaline and like just to feel cool like it it got really like it was really high schooly um they were like excursions. they were like a click they were like the best and they did whatever they want Skilling also believed that a company that worried too much about costs would discourage original thinking. Um, uh, and he was like, he was always pushing people to come up with the next best idea, basically come up with the next scheme. They, uh, they could do whatever they wanted. As long as they, uh, like this was like a quote from one of the employees, as long as we met our earnings goal, we would get our bonuses. It didn't matter however budget we want. So naturally people did whatever they wanted and they were spending like the company's money left and right. There were these new fancy flat screen computer monitors and catered lunches and and run purchase cell phones for everybody oh and God. another fleet of corporate jets and limousines on on uh, on command and uh fucking a concierge who would actually like pick like do errands for employees and like pick up dry cleaning and water the house fancy plants. did you feel when yeah, you, if you worked there though right they must have felt so fancy that was the thing though like they just kept bringing more and more people like like it just people just didn't want the party to stop so the people who should have been like this this is this should have been raising red flags. We're like, no, if I raise the red flag, the party's gonna stop, and I don't want the party to stop. Yeah. Mm. So like it didn't. Well. Well, they got it. <laughs> no, but so underskilling the company became obsessed with the health of the stock because the stock was really like their gig. Like making sure the stock was healthy was like how they made sure their image was company. Their image. Their company's image was healthy. They were surrounded by it. They had stock tickers in the elevators and shit. All the employees were like really, really, really highly encouraged to buy Enron stock. Um, and most of the employees converted most of their 401k retirement plans into, into Enron stock shares. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
all of it like all of it and yeah. like they were like gassing them up at these corporate meetings like yeah should we put all our 401k into enron stock yeah totally let's do it like giving bonuses to people who did it and stuff like just wow. really like trust enron trust us trust your entire future i'll give to you 500 dollars one time yeah. if you give me all of your future yes do yeah. it like look how you're, it's gonna be worth so much money because like the stock enron stock wow. just kept rising it could not fall and like this was a period of time when everyone was getting into the stock market like in america because you couldn't fail because it was just enron was just like up 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 um and it was really it was just can i just say this whole time like so i don't know anything about enron this is the first time i'm hearing anything about oh okay really so this is new once you said that, like, I got chills. I'm like, oh, no. It's terrifying. <laughs> it. This is the first time now I'm like, holy shit. It's yeah, about to get it's fucked. really fucked up. Hey, Sam, your mother's a financial advisor. Yeah. Do you think, did she ever adva- invest in Enron, you think? I guarantee you she's got stories. I, I'm going to ask her because, honestly, I would not doubt it. She, if she, she might, she might have not invested, but I guarantee you she's got stories because you couldn't like be involved in stock in the nineties without Enron being a big part of everything. And the Enron like fucking scandal being such a big fucking deal. Like she's, she's going to have a lot to say about Enron. I guarantee you. Right. I'm going to ask her. Um, Anyway, yeah. So, Skilling would use mark-to-market accounting to stay on top of the stock health. Um, Who's Mark? <laughs> Every time you say it, I'm like, alarm bells are ringing. <laughs> Who is he? When I looked it up, so, I think the word mark is used to, as a unit of value. Rather, kind of like a German mark. Oh, okay. Rather sure. than, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I still Ooh, don't like it. Mark. What's the German mark? You're going to have to get over it because I say it a lot. What's I understand. The, what country uses marks? What? Oh. I oh. think German. That sounds right. It feels okay. right. I didn't know what a mark was. Before the... I know what a mark is now. European... European? European Union! Sorry. EU. So, um, he was obsessed with, like, you know, making sure the stock health was up. He used mark-to-market accounting to stay on top of that stock health. Stock health. Um, he would actually call up financial analysts and ask them, what exactly, well, what, uh, what profits do we need to report to keep the stock health up? And they'd be like, yeah, well, if you don't, like, report this kind of revenue, then your stock will drop. And then he would turn around and be like... Oh, guess what? We just so happened to be making that oh exact thing money. And it's like, it's not like he wasn't, he literally, he was just bullshitting. Just full wow. bullshitting the entire time. Fuck the rules, we're making money. He would have employees go over old contracts and restructure them, go over them more and be like, oh, look, wait, actually, we made more money from this than we said we did before. Okay, great. Okay, we're going to enter that in. There's more money from this one. Oops, there's, we actually made more money from that one. And just like ratcheting that shit up. Their accounting philosophy was totally loophole driven. Um, They had accountants look for ways to fudge the system to get away with it. And Enron was a Goliath, so no accounting firm dared question them. Um, And Enron employed this auditing, accounting auditing firm called Arthur Anderson. Have you guys ever heard of Arthur Anderson? Probably not. Because because of this. Uh, But they were like a big accounting auditing firm. Okay. So essentially like big companies like this would go to these like respected accounting auditing firms and the auditing firms would essentially look at their stuff and then sign off on them. So then when like 
stock investors or people from the outside were looking in and were like, hey, is this legit? They'd see, oh, Arthur Anderson firm signed off on this. So mm-hmm. it's legit. The they they you know, they have an auditing firm that's like backing their stuff. Fuck. Um so Arthur and Anderson were related to Ann and Ron? Yes. I'm gonna eat the mic. They were in bed together. <laughs> they were fucking. Ooh. But scandalous. Secret love. But yeah, no, they were also cousins. But no. Um they were roommates. So uh, oh they employed Arthur Anderson to approve their books. Arthur Anderson actually had offices at Enron, which was a conflict of interest and very, very uncommon. Okay, it was never a thing where like an auditing firm had their own offices set up inside a corporation's offices. Um, but they were just doing so many, so much work they for Enron. Them. They needed it. But the flip side of that was these like accounting nerds were like at the party too. You know what I mean? And so it was like they were getting access to like the concierge and the the limos and all the stuff or whatever. And if they like lifted their finger or said no to something, Enron would just appeal it anyway to the rest of the accounting firm and say, this is bullshit. And then like the they would say, your pencil pusher is fucking wrong. And then the rest of the company would be like, oh, yeah, you're right, Enron, you're right. And then that guy would get fucking fired. Wow. So then like the other people would be like, OK, so we j- why are we even here? We just have to say yes. And, and they had no consequences either. So. Yeah, exactly. So, like, they just, it just kept on keeping on. So, in March 1998, they hire on 36-year-old Andy Fastow as the new CFO. Zoe was still not born. <laughs> yeah, Zoe was still not born. Attacked. It's 98. <laughs> I was four. No, I was six. I can count. What um, month? March. Yeah, I'm, like, not born at all. <laughs> so, Andy Fastow, he's a 36-year-old guy. He's, like, he's hired in. Um, his big idea was to create a bunch of little shell companies, offshore shell companies, that he used to hide Enron's enormous debt. Um, oh, great. Right? So, like, hundreds of offshore companies that he just kind of made up himself. They were just shell companies, and he just, like, did trades with them in Enron and basically just, like swept the debt under the rug anything that like just just to fully complete the like manipulation of reality that the enron had it was (laughs) absolutely redonkulous okay so now two years later we get into the deregulation of the electricity market that enron fucking did december 12th it's it's 2000 zoe's been born my sister has not been born but only by only not by two days (laughs) this guy senator phil graham of texas was lobbied by enron and some other companies to attach a 262 page amendment to the commodities future modern modernization act this was then attached to a spending bill that was signed into law by president clinton right before he left office this amendment for how much money i don't know that's secret 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 business but some amount of money i guarantee it so and this like slipped in right under everyone's nose no one really knew it was happening no one really knew that this got signed into law just kind of no public attention or scrutiny but it basically uh radically deregulated the market for electricity and allowed for private electricity that's not sexy no it's not sexy so so no one no one paid attention and it was also really like slipped in like oh let's just staple this on right before he's about to sign it like basically so now it allowed for private electricity training training trading deals to happen completely unregulated and like 
in the dark. Jesus. Um, it was later revealed that the Enron lobbyists actually were the ones who wrote the amendment, not the governor at all. Like they just wrote it themselves. And they, they like texted it over yeah, and yeah. they were like, yep, do it. And they're like, yep. Okay. We're making money. We don't care. Don't stop the money train. There's, they're goofy from <laughs> yeah that's what they're goofy uh-huh, that's what they sound like so this was all like jeff skilling's plan to get enron into the electric energy business um he figured enron could create an energy trading market just like they did with natural gas except with the electricity so he started the energy trading division at enron and like called up the wall street analysts and was like hey we are doing a new thing come and check it out like and it was very like they came and they checked out the energy trading division it was very very impressive people bustling around it was all busy but it was all just for show <laughs> they'd actually filled a giant empty room with furniture no uh, plasma screen tvs then they had all like these like hot secretaries and like hot people who work in the office just, like in the building like all come in and look busy for a day <laughs> <laughs> well they had these wall street stock analysts come to like be like whoa you guys are really doing it oh my god <laughs> With the Price is Right theme song playing in the background. Right? It's just honestly ridiculous. And so then Skilling also bought Portland General Electric because uh, it was like this like electric company power plant system that was close to California and started lobbying California po- politicians, telling them that they could save so much money if they just keep deregulating the energy market in California. We've got to deregulate it even more. So then, like, that is somewhat successful, and the state passes, like, a smorgasbord of a bunch of different random, like, shit that amounts to, like, sort of halfway deregulating the power market in California. Um, but, like, not all the way, but it was, it was all Enron needed. It was just enough. Let and, them slip under their Yeah, let them get in there and do it big. And, oh, boy, did they do it big. So they had this whole team of ruthless asshole traders who they let loose on California's new partially deregulated power market. And they only were in it to do one thing, and that was make money at all costs. So what they basically could do is they could... They had control over all these different power lines and power plants, okay? And they could, like, buy power from one source and then, like, sell it to, like, another area of California at whatever price they wanted, except there were, like, price caps. But they had all these ways for getting around this, like, all these schemes for getting around, like, the, like, what was left of the regulation. And they had names for the schemes they came up with. Some of those names were Fat Boy, Death Star, Get Shorty. And Ricochet. That's right. I'm fat boy. Yeah. 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 Uh, Like, just for example, Ricochet. They would sell power across state lines to get across price gaps. So they would, like, buy power for $250 worth of power in California. Then they would sell it to Arizona for $1,200. Sell that same amount for $1,200. Then they would, uh, to, like, Arizona. Then they would sell it back to California from Arizona for five times that much. And they could get away with it because, like, people needed power and this is how much they were charging. Like, you know what I mean? The traders would price gouge by overbooking a power line that they had the rights to when the line was needed. So, like, it would be, like, during a shortage or, like, a heat wave, they would know that this one, like, you know, line would really need, like, the power to go through. So they would schedule a bunch of, like, it to be overbooked so it would, like, brown out 
and like everyone would be like, oh my God, we need our power. It's everything's clogged up because there's too much power being used. Enron, help us. What do we do? And then Enron's like, oh, we can clear that out for you for just, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Okay, bam, there we go. And like, there was no one to stop them from what they were doing. Like, oh. confused yet? No. Okay, good. We're following. Because it's, it's a little confusing, and I'm hoping I'm explaining it right. Audience, how are you doing? Good. <laughs> so, they would even go so far as to cause the shortages to drive up the price. There was, like, a recorded wall- call with one, like, Enron trader calling one of the power plants that they had control over, and he's just like, hey, yeah, guys, can you get, like, a little creative over there and come up with a reason to, like shut down for a few hours, you know, like some scheduled cleaning or something. And the guy's like, yeah, you want us to just like do a forced power shutdown for maintenance or something? He's like, yeah, that's the best. I knew I could count on you guys. So they would like shut it down. And then everyone, a bunch of people would lose power and then they could rack up the prices for the power that they were already trading and people would pay it because they like needed fucking power because it was fucking June and it was a heat wave and no one had any fucking power. Mm. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) It was diabolical like That's literally crazy. these fucking jock assholes who were in this trading market and were literally only here to make money had so much control over california's power grid they could just be on their computers and just fuck shit up and just wow. like make that money and extort like Californian city citizens like that's what it was it was extortion during this period of time there was like a two two day period of time in june where it was just like rolling blackouts just like widespread over the entire state people were trapped in elevators schools and local governments shut down businesses shut down costing everyone millions enron began and enron was like lining government government pockets for years um by this point just like totally just like giving the government so much money so when california actually like reached out and asked like the national government for help national government was basically like these problems are your fault because your mega your market is too regulated and you sissies are too too concerned too regulated too yeah too regulated and then you've got to deregulate more and because you're too environmentally conscious and you won't build more power plants um it's like so like that went on um finally the bush administration about a year later after like they couldn't like ignore that this is getting fucked up so they implemented a national power price cap uh price cap that was like national wide and so suddenly the crisis started to get way better Huh, that's super weird. Why? I wonder why. Just simple price Regulating? They started to regulate and it got better. What? The entire power crisis in California had cost the state of California over $40 billion. Oh, my God. Right? It's insane. And uh, the recall of Governor Davis uh, led to Arnold being the new governor. Arnold. um, Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. Anyway, so now at this point, Enron's not doing so hot. Their company debt was like three point nine billion. Um, wow. Yep. And uh, like February twenty uh, two thousand one, this was really the mark of like the decline when people started to like be like, hey, because like all this shit was getting bad. You know, right? Or like like all, obviously all this shit was really bad around the point when they like were fucking with California and stuff. But mm-hmm. like, ever no one had like. Not everyone had turned around and finally been like, it's you. It's you, you big assholes. You're doing it. Like, they still didn't really. No one wanted to say it. Yeah, no one wanted to say it. It was a 
very decidedly a quintessential the emperor has no clothes scenario you know what i mean mm-hmm. it was literally that but um so february 2001 one iconic woman bethany mclean I love her. I'll love her for all time. She's a writer. She uh, publishes a story in Fortune magazine titled, Is Enron Overpriced? And she asked the simple question that no one else would. How the fuck does Enron, Enron make money? Oh. Like, how does how does Enron make money? I thought Ron? it was in, in, Enron overpriced. Also, who is in, who is Ron? Who is yeah. N? Who is Ron? <laughs> and how the fuck does Enron make its money? You know, it's like worth so much money and its stock price is so high. But like, what the fuck? How does this even work? And who's Mark? Who's Mark? Um, <laughs> the main question here. Right? Who is so, Mark? She gets on the phone with Jeff Skilling, you know, big big top guy. And he's very petulant, and he complains that she doesn't get it, and he hung up on her. Sure. Then the PR department of Enron quickly calls her back, and they get her on a conference call with Jeff again. And Skilling just, like, kind of elaborates and is like, we're clearly doing it right. And people who ask questions clearly don't understand and haven't done their homework. And you haven't done your homework. And you just want to throw rocks. You just want to throw rocks because we're successful. You just want to tear us down. You don't understand. And he hangs up on her again. Yeah. And so then the Enron PR department call her back again. And they're like, just kidding. You should probably really meet with our CFO, Andy Fastow. You should meet with him. He's going to come out. He's going to talk to you. He's going to explain it. It's just a misunderstanding. We're going to set you straight, wow. you poor, stupid idiot. And so then Fastogo flies out to New York and, like, meets with her with, like, some other Enron executives in, like, a windowless room. And they go over the company's finances no for, like, eight hours. And at the, at, like, uh... And just, like, they basically bullshit her the whole time. At the end of the meeting, uh, when Fastow's actually alone with her, like, the other two had left, and he lingers, and he's like, I don't care what you say about the company. Just don't make me look bad. Finger guns. Finger guns. I don't know if he finger guns, but... He did. He did. So, like, things are coming to light. Skilling had to, like, Wall Street started to be like what's going on here so like we got to talk to you jeff skilling he had a conference call with a bunch of wall street analysts and he's like company's in great shape we're doing great everything's great everything's great and one of the analysts was like well why are you the only company that can't release a balance sheet with your earnings sheet uh like what what's that about rupaul shade noise he's just (laughs) yeah he's just like dodging the question he's like uh um what no huh and he's like keeps the guy keeps pushing and finally like jeff's like yeah uh, thanks very much we appreciate it asshole and then he hangs up on him did that work i mean (laughs) no but it got him off he got he didn't have to have the conversation anymore that day i guess that's Um, valid (laughs) naturally wall street was not happy about this they're like this dude should be able to answer these like hard, like he should be able to answer hard questions without falling apart. Like a fucking baby. Like what? People um, answer any question. Answer any, any question maybe. How about that? Um, so like this Enron stock stock was actually starting to fall. Callie was like, uh, California was blaming the power crisis on Enron. You know, Callie. like shit was getting fucked up. And this amidst all this, Ken Lay is like coming into Skilling's office with like fabric swatches for the new like fucking forty-four million dollar jet he just ordered, and he's like, "What looks nicest?" And like, Ugh. they're just completely deaf to what's happening around them until they aren't. August thirteenth, Skilling announces he's leaving Enron. 
Jeff Skilling's like, you know what? I actually, it's, it's time for me to go. Yeah. Over that, the course of a year, he had cashed out over $33 million in his own stocks. Um, uh, Ken Lay had cashed out about $78 million of his uh, own uh, stocks. Uh, um, wow. And they're just like, everything's fine. Don't worry. And like people on the outside are starting like notice. And they're just like, no, no, company's never been better. We're totally good. Like Jeff Skilling before he left is like, yep, I did my own internal investigation of the company. Everything's fine. All don't question the accounting. The accounting's all good. Don't worry. It all's perfect. Just you're good. He circles the accounting and he says, don't look there. Don't look. (laughs) It's, It's fine. Everything's chill. So then by that following October, Arthur Anderson, the accounting firm, realized that Enron was probably about to get investigated by the FBI. Uh. And when that happened, they would be forced to retain all their documents. So before that order came down, Enron began to shred, shred, shred all that shit. Yeah, shred all that shit physically. Um, Everything must go. They, uh, like by, uh, let's see, by uh, October 23rd, they had shredded over a ton of paper um, not like a ton of paper like an actual ton um, yeah. and they had to like hi- like they actually had to call out like a shredding truck that they were like filling up with their like how much is a ton a lot in kilograms <laughs> 2,000 pounds in kilograms so all of that finally stopped when the SEC subpoenaed their asses and was like fucking stop December 2nd, 2 a.m., Enron's lawyers filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, the largest case in America so far. 4,000 people lost their jobs and had to evacuate the building in 30 minutes. Um, What? Yup. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Subpoena their asses or their assets? No, their asses. Oh, got Their asses got subpoenaed. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And... (laughs) Uh, 62% of 15,000 employees, 15,000 employees savings plans relied on Enron stock and were all now worthless. So they had like a total of like 15,000 employees, mm-hmm. 62% of them, of, of their oh. savings plans, of their 401ks all relied on Enron stock and were all useless. And like, these aren't just people who like signed up to work with Enron. Enron absorbed a lot of companies along the way. Mm-hmm. So it would be like one, like a, a natural gas company in California who would just like this one guy who was like, enough by them. yeah, 9,000, 9,300 people were totally fucked. Totally Fuck. fucked. Like I was watching the documentary and this one guy's talking about who like he worked as like a gas pipeline worker or whatever, like, you know, like a, just like driving the gas truck around uh-huh. in the residential area, just like doing his job for like, you know, 30 years. And he's like close to retirement. His company gets bought up by Enron, absorbed mm. by Enron. And suddenly everyone's like, Oh, put your shit in Enron stock. Put your shit in Enron stock. We're putting your shit in Enron stock. Your shit's in Enron stock now. Okay, cool. And he, it's like, everyone was doing it and they were making so much money. And he's like, okay. And, uh, then like six months later, it all blew it's up all gone face. and he is nothing. And it's like this, to 9,300 people. Like, just completely fucked up. Completely fucked up. And, like, all of this is, like, right on the heels of, like, all the top people, like, giving themselves nice bonuses and just being like, goodbye! Wow. Everything's fine! Uh, a criminal investigation was opened. Finally. Yeah, finally. Uh, one of the high, high-level executives, Cliff Bas- Baxter, uh, shot himself Bastard. in his Mercedes. What? Oh. Yep. 
there was a huge court case. Jeff Skilling, uh, like, basically got on the stand and basically tried to gaslight his way out. He basically thought he was smarter than the entire Washington government, and he could just, wow. like, be like, uh, I, and you, I'm not an accountant. Stop asking me questions about finances. I'm not an accountant. I don't know. We uh, we did everything good. Oh, um, my God. Yep. And so, like, literally anytime anyone asked him anything about financial dealings, he, he would just be like, I'm not an accountant. And, <laughs> like, finally someone was like, okay, well, then what what is you? <laughs> like, where did you go to school? What what? Yeah, he's like, like what, what are your qualifications? Like, what are your, exactly. And he's like, well, I graduated from Harvard Business School. And then he laughed in their faces. Oh, my just, God. Fucking crazy. Um, he probably killed someone. Only murderers get into Harvard. He was a fucking psychopath, sociopath. He killed a lot of people, I guarantee it. Sure. But anyway, so. Don't sue us. Don't sue us. Yeah, please don't sue us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> please don't sue us. Not like he has any money. Um, <laughs> Neither do we. Exactly. We're both fucked, Ben. <laughs> um, anyway, so Arthur Anders, the Arthur Anderson firm was indicted for ins- obstruction of, ju- of justice. Over like 20,000 people lost their jobs over that. Wow. Andy Fastow got convicted on 96 counts of fraud and over 10 and like 10 years with no parole. And that was the deal he took for testifying against Jeff and Lay. So it was like 10 years, no parole for 96 counts if he testifies. And he did. Uh, he, oh, he also had to reply, repay like 23 million. He testifies against uh, uh, against Lay and Skilling. Skilling goes down for 19 counts and uh, is put away for 24 years. And Lay goes down for six counts and oh my God. dies three months after that. Um, what? To... Uh, fraud fraud heart attack a fraud yeah. heart attack um, but yeah uh Just and like cancer yeah look and like they did at, you know it's like they had to pay like for example like fast out had to like pay back like 23 million and like did um, he have it uh i mean he uh, yeah he did and like okay but so like a bunch of these people who the company fucked like with their 401ks and stuff got like got to see some of that money but uh-huh. no one saw more than like five hundred dollars and it's like nothing compared to what they lost. Jesus. Yeah. And compared uh, to like the value of a, oh my God. Of their lives' work. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ba-na-na-na-na-na. That was it. And Jeff Skilling's probably going to get out of jail before next year. Really? Yeah. I have to look it up and see what the current. Does he have like a date? Deets are that. Um, but I heard it was like in between 2017 and 2019. That's now. Yeah. We're, it's we're now in between right now. that. It's right now. But yeah. So that was that. That was that was Enron. I pared it down a lot because there's a lot. There's a That's lot. Crazy. Literally, okay, do yourselves a favor and go watch Enron the Smartest Guys in the Room. It's a really, really, really good documentary. It's really well done. It's really fucking funny. And also really sad. Good. But it's also really good. Because there's like a lot of like hard evidence that I couldn't really share with you, like recordings of like what these people were saying and what the company culture was like and like testimonials where they got former employees in to like talk about it. They got like a, one of the like testimonial guys who like did it was like a, one of the former traders and he's just the biggest asshole in the entire planet. And you could just get to listen to him talk about how he was like stealing electricity from little old ladies in California and laughing while he did it. Oh my God. And like just, it's so unreal. It's so unreal, and it do- it hasn't even really stopped. Like no. just this lobbying for profit, like and like government officials putting through these like 
like fucking legislation that's like too slight for any normal person to understand what it means, but it's just letting these companies fuck us. With no lube. No lube. Mm, no dinner. <laughs> Nothing. But yeah, that's that. That's cr- fucking wild, though. Right? I can't believe this. Right? Decidedly. Yeah. Can you believe this shit? No. 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 Go and like ask your parents what their experiences with Enron, what what they know about it, what 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 it was like. I think the sheer amount of money that is involved in this specific event is just incredible. Because I'm sure shit like this like still happens. I don't invest in the stock market. It is not a thing. I don't trust it. My mother can never understand that. And I'm like, mom, you're gambling. You never yeah, know. It's gambling. You never know. And this is a large scale event. But yeah. Woof. Okay. I have a topic. Oh. A topic. So I have for you. Where do I, um, <laughs> I made a decision as to where I want to start it, but now I'm second guessing myself. Whatever, it's fine. October first, nineteen thirty, nineteen ninety three. Not nineteen thirty. Almost my birthday, and not the right year. Um, it's Halloween. October first is Halloween. <laughs> yes, Halloween. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I'm going to tell you about Polly Class. She uh, was. Sorry, what? continue. She's a 12-year-old girl. She was living in Petaluma, California with her mother and her half-sister. Uh, and she decided... What are you laughing at? <laughs> decided to... Uh, why are you laughing? Do you know the story? Very distracting. That's uh, uh, funny. I've heard tale. Oh, God. I can't believe... Okay. C- continue. Oh, we're going to do it this episode. She decided to take advantage of the weekend and have two of her friends... Uh, Jillian and Kate Jill, Gillian Jillian Jillian Hall Jillian Gillian Hall Gillian Jake Gillian Jillian Hall Okay sorry. Gillian What are we talking G- about Jillian Jillian And Who's Kate Mark? What <laughs> Over for a sleepover uh, Polly Class was born on January third, nineteen eighty one. So I'm just gonna give you like a little background. Before she was three, her parents Mark and Eve divorced. Her mother married a man named Alan Nickel, and uh, in nineteen eighty seven, when Polly was six, her half sister Annie was born. She spent most of the first part of her life moving around California because uh, her stepfather was a down on his luck architect, and he couldn't find work, Same. so they had to move all over the place. I didn't know that was like a travel-heavy job, but well, I guess when you're down on your luck, you got to do what you got to do. You can get it. Yeah. Hey, you need an architect. Here I come. I'll move on over there. It doesn't you matter. Need to draw some shit. You need me to you draw, need some draw some lines some and write really small <laughs> lines and shapes. Get paid too much for it? Just kidding. I don't know. In 1992, her mother and her stepfather divorced, and her and her mom and her little sister moved to Petaluma, California. Uh, so Polly had been doing super well. She was in the children's choir. She played clarinet and she did community theater. Uh, she was super responsible and took care, took like a lot of the responsibility of taking care of her younger sister when her mom was busy. And she spent a lot of time seeing her father for holidays and on the weekends. And they talked on the phone almost every single day. So at 8.30, the party started. That's when her last friend was dropped off. And they played inside, uh, mostly in Polly's room. 
at 9 p.m., a couple of neighborhood boys were going to a video store, probably like a blockbuster, <laughs> um, and they saw a strange man in the shadows near Polly's house. The boys had never seen the man before, and they knew everyone in the neighborhood, so they were like, who's that motherfucker? Uh-oh. But they were like, eh, whatever. And they kept move, like they kept going, and they went to the video store, and on the way back, he was still in the same spot. And they were like, Uh-oh. okay, and they just went home. In the shadows, you said? Yeah, he was just like, in the shadows. Okay. Just standing near the house. Okay. I pictured a single street lamp and he's standing just outside of it. Exactly like that is how I'm seeing it as well. <laughs> but also he's halfway in the bushes. <laughs> that feels so wrong. These boys. They're like nine. Yeah. Oh, sure. Why their parents alone? should have. They're, they went home and their parents said, how was your walk to the thing? Was it safe? And they said, yeah. And then they watched their movie from Blockbuster. Fair. If I ever have a kid, the second they can talk, I'm going to be like, you ever see some creepy ass dude? Ass dude. You tell ass me dude. about that ass dude. Eve, uh, Polly's mother, and her younger sister were sleeping across the hallway. Eve checked in with the little girls at about 9.45 and told them to quiet down because she was going to bed. At about 10.30 p.m., a man who lived behind the classes saw a man standing on the back porch. Nope. He didn't think much of it, and he seemed to think that the man was going in through the back door, and the back door was kept unlocked that night. Around the same time, Polly Class got up to leave her room to go grab the sleeping bags and get them all ready for bed. Wait. Hmm? They kept the back door unlocked? That night? Sleep overnight? Probably not on purpose, but it was unlocked, yeah. Yikes. So... At the same time, uh, Polly Class left her room to go get the sleeping bags for her and her friends. She opened her bedroom door to see a tall man with long hair and a beard. He went straight into her room and holding a knife, he told them that he would slit their throats if they screamed. He asked which of the girls lived in the house. Polly said it was her. She said that her mother and her sister were there as well. The man asked where the money was and Polly said it was in hidden in a jewelry box. He then held the girls at knife point as he tied all of their hands behind their backs and placed pillowcases over their heads so they couldn't see. He threatened them, telling the girls to count to 1,000 before opening their eyes. He grabbed Polly and he left. Polly's two friends were still tied up in her room and they struggled to free themselves. One of the girls was eventually able to slip her wrists under her legs and free the other girl. They ran to wake up Polly's mother, who immediately called the police. So the police showed up pretty quickly and immediately started, like, collecting all the evidence they could and working like as quickly as possible. They found the girls had been bound with strips of cloth that had been cut with scissors. Um, The cord from the video game console had also been cut and used to restrain them. And a strap had been cut from Polly's purse. They got the girls in with a sketch artist who worked with them for two hours on that night to get a description of the man who'd kidnapped their friend. They found a palm print and a long brown hair that had been ripped from someone's head. Mm. The police put out an APB immediately. All of that was in the in like in the room. So the police put out an APB immediately, but they marked it not for press release. So it was never ran out over like the main radio channel uh, because reporters listened to that. So they didn't want to leak it to the press yet for whatever reason. Because they didn't want to tip. Dot, dot, dot. They didn't want to tip him off. That well, they yeah, were but you also have to, everyone's got to look. That's true. 
You know, and he, he knew he left two witnesses. That's true. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. But um, the phone at Polly's dad's house received a call about 20 hours after Polly was reported missing. Uh, so he wasn't there. He'd already been called to Petaluma, but they received a phone call. It was like a hoax call of someone saying that they were in a hotel in they were like in a specific motel in a specific city where that motel did not exist. And they like, they, they wasted a lot of man hours, like searching all these hotels and searching uh, all of these different cities. And they like, didn't find anything off of that tip. Why do people do that? Yeah. What the fuck? That is so fucked up. I don't up. know. They didn't, they didn't have like a tracker on there, so they couldn't like track the exact mm. location of the phone, but they put one on after that. Uh, the FBI was brought in like that night they were called and they worked with the cops pretty closely, which was like not before seen. The FBI kind of did their thing and the local cops kind of did their thing, but they were working together and sharing information and working with the volunteers from the town. Uh, there were 75 agents from the federal, from the FBI. The, why did I say federal? Uh, and 50 Petaluma police officers canvassing Polly's neighborhood for evidence within like the first couple of days. Once the news did hit the media, Polly was the first missing child of the internet. The poster used to raise awareness of Polly's disappearance was the first missing poster to be digitized and like copied out that way and not like mass xeroxed Uh so it's like all fuzzy and black and white so public support was like massive and they did all they could to help bring polly back there was a phone bank that brought in countless tips leading the investigators to follow up on over twelve thousand leads damn the air search covered over three thousand square miles almost four thousand volunteers total helped with the efforts winona Ryder came forward and offered a reward of $200,000 to help bring Polly home uh, because it's from her hometown. Oh, what a woman. Full-time woman. So just like almost two months later, November 27th, 1993, a woman named Dana Jaffe was walking her property when she noticed something strange. She lived about 45 minutes away from Petaluma in Santa Rosa. uh, And in the ground in a tree clearing, there was a pair of child-sized red knit tights knotted at the knees an adult sized dark sweatshirt turned inside out a knotted piece of white silky cloth shaped like a hood i don't like any of this the area had been clean like cleared of leaves and it looked like someone had like kind of wiped it off a little bit so she called the cops she was like i don't like that what is it can it stop being on my land now i want this to not be fix it So the cops showed up the next day and they investigated further and found an unrolled condom, a torn Rough Rider Uh. condom wrapper, two pieces of strapping tape, a beer bottle, an empty plastic six-pack holder, and a book of matches. At this time, Dana Jaffe told the police on scene of an event that had occurred about two months earlier on the night of Polly's disappearance. About an hour after the kidnapping was reported, Dana had called 911 to request someone come take a look at her property. Her babysitter, uh, when she was leaving that night, had seen a strange man with his car stuck in the ditch that was, like, on her property a couple feet away from where she had found all of these weird items. Uh, And she just didn't want him there, so she called the cops. Uh, She didn't want him arrested. She just wanted him and his car off and out of her property. So the cops responded to the scene, and they found a man named Richard Allen Davis. 
The man was wearing soaking wet pants, a dry t-shirt, had sticks and leaves and dirt in his hair and on his socks. He had apparently pulled his car into a ditch while trying to pull over on the side of the road, and when asked why he was on the private property, he said that he had been sightseeing, and when he saw the private signs, he like tried to do a UE and just dumped himself into the ditch. The police questioned him and thought he was drunk, but they ran his plates, found a clean driving record, and after he passed their sobriety tests, even though they, they were like, hey man, have you been drinking? And he was like, no. And he pulled out a beer and opened it and like started drinking. And they were like, no, sir, sir, you can't do that. Pour that out. So he poured it out. They literally just helped him pull the car out of the so ditch. So like, sir, have you been drinking? Nope, not yet. <laughs> I can't. About to start. <laughs> this is getting annoying. Right? So they pulled him out of the ditch and they just like followed him out play. to the highway. They were done. The police um, at this time now. But they got his name. They got, they got his name and they like took a report on it. But they like just sent him off. So the police, now they made this connection. Uh, they immediately like pulled up this man's record and found that Richard Allen Davis had a super messy, horrifying past. He had priors for assault and kidnapping and a warrant out for a parole violation. So that should have been picked up yeah, when they found him what? then. Um, but it wasn't because the machines that the cops had in their car didn't pull up their criminal history. It just pulled up their driving history. Yikes. Uh. For whatever reason. Um, I guess that kind of makes It makes sense, but at the same time... But, like, I feel like it should pull up... Stops it should, it should pull up warrants. Of. You know what I mean? It should pull up any warrants. You know when they, like, start pulling people over and they're like, what are you doing in there? And then they search them for all their, their warrants. Not that that's, like, good. <laughs> but still. But they do that. Sure. I guess not then. So, on November 30th... Richard Allen Davis was picked up. His prints were matched to the palm print found at the scene, and he was questioned. Gotcha, bitch. He denied all of it. So they threw him back in jail because he was there. Like, they had him on the parole violation. They were like, you definitely were drunk driving, and they didn't know that you were on parole a couple weeks ago. He also, he, like, literally never stopped getting arrested <laughs> from the time he was, like, 12. I can get into that in a minute. So they were like, okay, just, you can sit in jail then. Uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, and they said that they would be there to talk when he was ready. So December 4th, like five days later, Richard Allen Davis called the detective to say he, quote, fucked up big time. Uh. Mm. Richard's story of the events goes as follows. Uh, he doesn't remember most of it. He's an He's a liar. Uh, he says that he remembers breaking into the house and he remembers tying up the girls, but he says that he forgets everything and has no memory until Polly is in his car complaining about her wrist restraints being too tight. He says that he then got stuck in the ditch, untied Polly, carried her up the embankment, stashed her in the woods, went back to try and free his car from the ditch where he was then interrupted by cops, questioned for 45 oh minutes, my God. drove away, stayed at the intersection where they left him there for half an hour, and then he returned to the spot where he had left Polly. They don't think it happened like that. Okay. They think he that Polly was dead at this time and that he killed her pretty much immediately after he had got, like, kidnapped her. But he 
was lying about that probably because there's no way she he would have untied her to leave her in the woods and then she sat there for over an hour and a half right without going towards the house on the hill like there was a lot of things where it's like there's a there's cops like 15 feet away you can hear them questioning him there was a lot this is where uh he said that he decided he had to kill her to avoid the kidnapping charge oh of course yeah which is the worst excuse i hate that if you feel like you gotta commit the crime to avoid the other worse crime you, like, if you feel like you have to commit a worse crime to avoid a lesser charge, what is that about? What is that about? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. If any of that was true, he would not have come back to Polly. He would have just left her in the woods. He would have left town. He was on parole somewhere else. He doesn't live in Petaluma. He barely has any ties to the community. His mom lived there, but he like no one knew he was there that night, pretty much. You know, he could have just disappeared and, like, have been gone if he just left her in the woods alive, like he said he did. Right. Um, well, the cops knew he had been there. Yeah. Yeah. But. But still. He says that Polly waited there, and when he got back, he says that he strangled her, drove her body down the road, and hid her under some plywood in a hollow in the ground. He led cops right to her body. They also, law enforcement believes that she was like already dead when the police questioned him. And they also believe that he sexually assaulted her, but he denies that like vehemently. But the he condom. also denies it in the way where he was like, we'll just have to wait and see when the DNA comes back. Like I didn't do it, but who knows? But just her body had been there for two months and there was no DNA evidence that they could get to prove it. Like, point blank it took two months to find her body yeah so richard allen davis's criminal history is a goddamn mess so he was born june 2nd 1954 gemini in 1954 (laughs) uh the year he turned 12 he was arrested for burglary and for forging fake checks at 14, he burgled another home, and his father turned him in for a separate charge. So these are just the arrests that are on the books. These are not the times that he got picked up by the cops or the times that the cops were called and they wrote a report. Like, this is full-on arrests booked in the system. And the first one was when he was 12? 12. 12. Uh, and they do not step for no, for burglary. Oh, and then, fraud. like, three months later, he forged a $10 check. Oh, but <sighs> Start strong with burglary. Yep. At 17, he was arrested for stealing a motorcycle. In July of 1971, he joined the military to avoid jail time for that bike thievery. But he made sure to sully that record as well. Missed a bunch of active duty or whatever it is that you do in the military. He fought a lot, but with his team i don't know the military works and used morphine just about 13 months after joining uh he was discharged because they didn't want him there anymore and from february 1973 to october he nine months he was arrested for public drunkenness resisting arrest drinking underage trespassing leaning on hedges while drunk traffic warrants he's also linked to more than 20 burglaries and is sentenced to six months in jail so you can lean on hedges while sober apparently he was like falling through him you know (laughs) 
It's its own separate charge. La- it was specifically listed that way on more than one website. Wow. <laughs> Work? I can't even. What? I couldn't. Like, it's not like I found police records where they said he leaned on a hedge well drunk, but more than one site said that that's exactly what he did. What the fuck? When he was released from that six months in jail, he burglarized a high school. An entire high school. For what? I don't know. Like, while they were off, no one was there. Like, what do you steal from a high school? The candy in the drawers. You steal... Computers. You steal all of the lab equipment from the science lab and then make math. Oh, that is what you do. You're right. I knew that. Make math. Breaking Bad soundtrack. Who? I can't do it. He is... (sighs) He burglarizes the high school. He's recommended prison, but instead they hold that off if he goes to rehab. He goes to rehab. Uh, he quits on day two. Sure. Um, so I'm going to stop listing dates now, and I'm just going to list all the crimes yeah. because it goes on forever. Probation violation, parole violation, auto theft, position of marijuana, burglary, grand theft, attempted sexual assault. He was arrested for the sexual assault and was released uh, on accident after being put into the hospital system as a patient instead of a prisoner. So he escaped broke into a woman's home, beat her with a fire poker, ran away, broke into the animal shelter, stole a shotgun, used that gun to kidnap another woman. Why is there a shotgun in the animal shelter? (laughs) I didn't think about that. Bears? (laughs) Who knows? It's California. Bears are there. And you gotta gotta give them a gun. You gotta shoot the grizzlies. (laughs) Stole a shotgun, used that shotgun to kidnap someone. That woman managed to escape from him when she pulled her gun out from under her car seat and fired it at him. What the fuck? That's all of that. All of that list was just six years. What the fuck? <laughs> We're in 1977. That's literally Why is just, he on the streets? That is just six years after I stopped listing dates. Just a week or so after that kidnapping attempt, he broke into another woman's home. That time he got caught and was charged with the first kidnapping and attempted sexual assault. And he makes a great deal with the prosecution and is basically out in less than six six years. He then goes on to kidnap again. He kidnaps a woman. He pistol whips her. He steals 6,000 of her dollars and he runs away. All of this is done with a new girlfriend, by the way, this, this part, he robs a bank and a yogurt shop, a restaurant, a value giant store, and probably some more stuff that he wasn't caught for. All of that. He serves eight years out of a 16 year sentence. He gets out in half of that time on good behavior, which is a mess. That's on June 27th, 1993. Just about three months later, he kidnaps Polly Class. This time, he's not getting out. A judge sentences him to death in California on August 5th, 1996. She basically, the judge basically says, um, this is a really hard, like morally upsetting decision for a judge to make, but you made it super easy. Gotcha, man. Is that um, what she said? Yes. <laughs> she, the judge literally said, you made it very easy for me to rule to murder you today. Thank you Thanks for doing for so. Goodbye. But um, also, fuck you. Usually I would have a nightmare about this later, but I feel great. At the sentencing, well, because at the sentencing he stood up, which <sighs> he was allowed to make a statement, which I think is 
bullshit, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. Uh, he stood up and he apologized to Polly's mother and to some of her family members for the hurt that he caused. Them. Not all of them, though. No, no, no. Because he said he denied ever assaulting Polly. He wanted to say that on the record. He knows he didn't because she asked him that night to please don't do me like my daddy. Uh. Which is false horrifying not something a 12 year old would say there's no evidence that that's true at all mark in response like polly's dad yelled at him to go to hell and was quickly ushered out of the courtroom there's like literally no evidence that that's true Uh, and mark polly's dad has spent his like entire life working to advocate for missing children Uh, he started a entire foundation he works to help find missing children and in the immediate years after Polly's death, worked to pass the three strikes law in California, which was good in theory, <laughs> bad in practice. Yeah. And he actually does not agree with it anymore in the way that it's being presented in California. It's put people away for life on like $10 of drugs because it's their third account, like their third serious offense. What the um, fuck? No, it should it should be strictly limited to violent Assault. offenses. Yeah, violent offenses. What the fuck? Um, they were just trying to prevent violent as- offenders like him, who had like that fucking long rap sheet of literal kidnapping and assaults. Like they don't want him to be out on the streets. But uh, that law is like passed in some form in twenty eight different states, but California has the strictest out of all of them. So that's wild. This case set precedents in the FBI about how to handle child abductions. Uh, there are still detectives from the case who travel stare, like sharing what they learned because of Polly's case. The way bulletins were sent out have changed to avoid situations like the officers being 15 feet away from Polly's body on the night of the attack and yeah. not knowing. Yeah, so that's the story of Polly Class. What year was she kidnapped? 93. That was before John Bonet, right? 96 was John Yeah. Yeah. And less talked about. Less talked about, yes. Because yeah. she wasn't a... It's not as salacious. Bond. And it's solved. <clears throat> and she's older. Sure. She was 12. There's a lot of reasons why it's not as talked about as the John Bonet case. But... Probably mostly the fact that there's a man in jail for it. By the way, he's still alive because they haven't killed anyone in California in a very long time. Yeah. Because it's unconstitutional the way that they were killing people. So until they find a better way to murder, they're not going to do it anymore. So is there like still a, is it, he's is it still death row or? He's still on death row, like in full isolation or whatever. Uh-huh, but there's just, it's just where he's probably going to stay. Yeah. Well, as long as he stays there. Yeah, I mean, he's not getting out. Like, that's not going to happen. He got sentenced to death. But he's, like, still trying to get out or whatever. He's putting Gross. in his appeals. Gross. Yeah, so that's that. That's Have you seen that Bjork movie where she goes to jail? Sorry, you're ending your story. <laughs> Can you believe this shit? No. Do it, yeah. Yeah. And Isn't I hate it. Jesus. wild. So there's that. Hot damn. I'm sorry to bring What was his name? Richard something? Richard Allen Davis. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's fine. And Polly. Polly Polly class. class. 
It's okay. You said who cares, and then you said I care. <laughs> about poly class, Fair. not about Bumblefuck McGee shitfuck. You're right. Bumblefuck McGee shitfuck. That's his name. That's his new name. Bumblefuck McGee Vizbuff. I didn't get into like his. If you want to, there's more on him. No. He's horrifying. People all always talk about how like Polly is the perfect face of like America's child, and he is like the exact opposite in all of that. It's scary. Life is horrifying. How do any kids live? I don't know. How did we get here? I don't know. Not well, bitch. Okay, let's get into this. Oh, God, I'm so scared. Am I going to know this one? Yes. Within how soon? Um, Within how soon? I mean, I'm going to... I'm going to... I can't take a while. I'm going. I'm getting immediately into this. So, I tried to sneak around mine because I knew you would know. So I was like, <laughs> "Fuck, whatever." So we are okay. We're in 2013. Okay. And we are in Los Angeles. Okay. And we're gonna talk about a girl. Okay. Uh, she's born April 30th. Um, she's 21 at this time. She's a Taurus. Uh, she's the daughter of immigrant from Hong Kong and was a student at the University of British Columbia. And her name is Elisa Lam. Okay. All right. So um, we're going to do this then. <laughs> that's, that's what we're doing? We're doing this? Okay, let's go. Let's do it. I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> so Elisa's taking a uh, West Coast tour. And she's uh, visiting California. Stop, I'm so stressed out. I'm like physically uncomfortable. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh um, my god. She's visiting California from um, Canada and uh, documenting her travels through her blog and her um, her Tumblr. January 26th, she's arrived. She arrives in uh, Los Angeles, and after two days, she checks into the Cecil Hotel. She initially uh, was assigned a shared room. But uh, her roommates complained about, quote, certain odd behavior. So they moved her to a room by herself. Uh, like a hostel? I guess it was. I've, I don't understand that. It doesn't make like any sense. Like a shared room? Because most hotels are just, you know, single rooms. You, you just, don't just sleep in. And then if it's a shared room, is she like in a double room? And like she's in one bed and they're in another bed and it's like a hotel room? Because that's weird. Yeah. Well, I, that's I would, weird, right? I would act weird to get out of that if I could. Right? That's yeah. like... that's. I want to know what she was doing specifically that was weird. Yeah. Do we not I know? Mean, weird. No, not specifically. Right. Uh, also, the Cecil? Cecil? <laughs> Cecil. Hotel was um, supposedly the last stop for uh, Elizabeth Short, the victim of the Black Dahlia before her. Murder, serial killers Jack Unterweger Weger, and Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, Richard both resided Ramirez. at the Cecil Ricardo Ramirez. There have also been suicides, one of which killed a pedestrian in the um, front of the Cecil. And uh, a journalist, Steve Erickson, said about the Cecil, it will reveal to you whatever it is you're a fugitive from. I have a question you don't know the answer to and that is morbid did the suicide that killed the pedestrian also kill the person who was trying to kill themselves 
or did they break their fall on a passing person? They, Which is not funny. It's just horrifying. They called it a suicide, so I assume. So you assume, right? But yeah. It would have been but, like an attempted suicide with yeah, like a casualty. I guess, right? How? That's fucked. Yeah. That is fucked up. That's fine. I don't want to say then, too much. Then you really go to jail. What? Because you killed someone. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you would. Yeah. You could. You should. You <laughs> should you though? Yes. Manslaughter, I guess. You jumped onto a crowded street. <laughs> it would be manslaughter. That's rude you as did, fuck. <laughs> you did it. You can't deny you Just jump off the him. other side of the building. <laughs> <laughs> Asshole. Into the parking lot. Yeah. Of the alley or something. In a car. You kill a garbage man. There are people everywhere. I'm sorry. It was an accident. Didn't mean to jump off the roof and kill someone. So, Elisa had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression, and she had been relatable. Fair, half, half fair. She had been prescribed four medications: uh, Wellbutrin, Lamisidil. Seroquel and affects her to oh. treat her disorders. Um, and according to her family, she had no history of suicidal ideations. I've been on a lot of those medications. Or attempts. Right? I've been on one of those medications. I've been on most of those meds. <laughs> That's not funny. So, uh, Elisa contacted her parents every day while traveling. And on January 31st, 2013, the day she was scheduled to check out of the Cecil Hotel and leave for Santa Cruz, they did not hear from her. So they called the Los Angeles police. Mm. Would you call immediately? Depends on the depends on the kid. You know what I mean? Um, sure. Like if it was like a very like clockwork multiple times a day, every day, and then all of a sudden full stop after like, you know, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Mm hmm. And she's in a, like, different country, and... True. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Yes, I fucking would. After about, I'd say, 12 hours of not hearing from me if I were in, like, New York, my mom would call the cops. That's fair. And I wouldn't be mad about it. I I recently went out of town for training for two weeks and fully forgot my mom existed and didn't... She was like, hey, um... (laughs) Hi. I was like, oh, hey, sorry. I've been training. Anyway, <laughs> not important. So the last person to see Lisa alive was Katie Orphan, a manager of a nearby bookstore. And Katie said uh, she was that Lisa was uh, outgoing, very lively, very friendly. She was getting gifts to take home to her family, and she was talking about what books she was getting, whether or not it would be too heavy for her to carry out while she traveled, and she was all around just, like, fine and normal. So um, police searched the hotel to the extent that they legally could, but they didn't search every room because they didn't have probable cause to believe a a crime was committed, so they can't just... Go in every hotel room. Could they, with permission from the hotel, in theory, go in every room? I guess. Wouldn't you think? But maybe once you... No, because I guess hotels have the right to enter your room whenever they want to. Yeah. So. I mean, they do. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, searched Elise's room and had uh, dogs go through the building, including the rooftop but the canines were unsuccessful in detecting her scent. So, What kind of dogs? 
Do you know? No, I don't. I'm so sorry. It's okay, because it matters. It does. It does. It just... Uh, I want to know. Body what? sniffing dogs sniff different than search sniffing dogs. Yeah. Body sniffing dogs can only smell dead bodies, and search sniffing dogs don't look for dead bodies. They look for the smell that they were told to look for. Sure. Yeah, I don't know which ones. Um, well, they said detecting her scent, so. They might have just been search sniffing dogs. Yeah. On February 6th, a week after uh, Lisa had last been seen, the LAPD decided more help was needed, so they printed out flyers and posted them in the neighborhood and online, and which brought the case to the public's attention through the media. Another week passed, however, with no sign of her, so the LAPD released a video of the last known sighting of Lisa Lamb taking oh, in God. one oh, of the elevators of the Hotel Cecil. This fucking video. At if this you point, haven't seen it, you gotta watch it. I, yeah, I recommend you watch the elevator video right now. Watch it at the right speed, though. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. Find it and watch it at the right speed. I have a thought after seeing that video, but I don't know if I should save it for later. If I should just give it now. Yes, now. Okay, so as someone who is also diagnosed bipolar hi the world you can have that information about me thank you um mine is low like i don't know low grade i don't know how they classify it i don't remember but at my like highest manic moments Mm -hmm. like it's just like i could like i she could be her manic moments could be much higher than mine and if that were the case then that would make sense as a manic moment to me because like it's really not like like those hand gestures and shit. Mm-hmm. Like I do that shit alone. And I realize that as I'm doing it, I'm like, I look crazy, but I'm like, mm, like, I don't know. It's, it's just like not something when I look at that, I'm like, depending on the day, this could might as well be footage of me in an, any elevator. So there are several theories. So, so mm-hmm. this is an idea to explain the actions of Elisa. So one was that Elisa was talking to someone out of frame, attempting to get the elevator to move to escape from someone. If it was someone out of frame, they would have to be, they'd have to know the hotel because they stayed out of the frame of the camera. Right. That's my theory. Fair. I don't think that's what was happening, but if it was. Other theorists suggest that she might be under the influence of ecstasy or some other drug. And then when her bipolar disorder became known, the theory was that she was having a manic episode. The video has also been tampered with, as some people have um, surmised. The timestamp is obscured. Some parts have been slowed down, and a minute of footage has been discreetly removed. Huh. But this could have been done simply to protect the identity of someone who otherwise would be in the video, but had little or nothing to do with the case, or to conceal evidence if Elisa's disappearance and death had been the result of a criminal act. But, but you know if, if they took anything out, the police saw it right. and deemed it unnecessary to the case. Right. Like the police or they could not move forward past it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Correct. Like it wasn't anything that of use to for the public to see. Yeah. So during the search for Elisa, guests at the hotel began complaining about low water pressure, and uh, some later claimed that their water was colored black as it was uh, coming out of the faucet and no. had an unusual taste. I'm no. sorry. Do you not call someone? 
No. When you see Blackwater. I've never seen Blackwater, but yeah, I'd call someone immediately. You call yeah. the front desk, and the front desk is like, we're working on it. <laughs> and Or the front desk is like, what? I've never heard of such a thing. It's like, what? I've We've heard of yellow three water, calls but... of these, like, already. <laughs> like, what? I'm sorry, did you say the water is black? Okay. Um, African-American water. <laughs> the water's coming out African-American. <laughs> On the morning of February 19th, uh, Elisa Lamb's body was found in one of four 1,000-gallon tanks providing water to guest rooms, a kitchen, and a coffee shop. The tank was drained and cut open since its maintenance hatch was too small to accommodate the equipment needed to remove her body. So, on February 21st, the Los Angeles coroner's office issued a finding of accidental drowning with uh, bipolar disorder as a significant factor. Mm. The full coroner's report stated that Elisa's body had been found naked with the clothing similar to what she was wearing, like floating around next to her. And her watch and room key was all, were also found with her. There was no evidence of physical trauma, sexual assault, or suicide. Toxicology tests uh, were incomplete because uh, not enough of her blood was preserved. But they did show traces that were consistent with the prescription medication they found along uh, her belongings. A very small quantity of alcohol was also present, but uh, no recreational drugs were found in her system. That they tested for. That they tested for. Uh, so the investigation had determined how Elisa died, but did not offer an explanation as to how she got into the fucking tank yeah. in the first place. The uh, doors and stairs that access the hotel's roof, 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 how do you feel? Um, roof. roof, who let the dogs out, are locked with only staff having the passcodes and keys and any attempt to force them open would supposedly have triggered an alarm. That's not true. However, uh, she could have gotten up there by the fire escape if someone was waiting for her. Also, there was a video made by a uh, like a YouTuber a couple years after Elisa's death who went to the Hotel Cecil and like tested the alarm system and found that there was nothing and he could just walk right up to the roof. So, who knows? And um, also that the lids of the water tanks were open, but that could have been in response to Elisa. I read somewhere that the hotel staff smoked on the roof so a did lot. I. Yes. So and they, they were, went they through that open. door and would leave it open or unlocked or propped open or all three. Yeah, at the same um, time. So that doesn't feel exactly secure. Um, but like, how do you, how, what was the situation of how to get into a fucking tank? I feel yeah. like it's not easy to just open the tank and get in. All four tanks were like four by eight foot cylinders propped up on concrete blocks. No. There was no fixed access to them. And uh, hotel workers had to use a ladder to look at the water. They are protected by heavy lids that would be difficult to replace from inside of it. Yeah, no way. When you're in eight feet of water. Yeah. So. And it's not like there's a ladder on the inside. No. Like. It's a mystery of how she climbed up into it, but it's not really a mystery of how she wasn't able to get out. Yeah. I want she was dead when she went in, but that wasn't really clear. 
If they ruled it as drowning, then that means she was, then she was alive, alive when she, she went in. in. Yeah, that makes sense. That means there was water that she, in her lungs. That means that there was water in her lungs, yeah. or that she was, or that she drowned, or that she was suffocated, and then water was in her lungs because she was in the fucking thing decomposing for how long? Yeah, uh, she could have um. just been strangled and then dumped in there. Or she could have been drowned somewhere else. Can't you, like, tell when someone's strangled by the neck? And then, not when you've been floating in water for however long you've been floating in water for. There were some uh, decomposition details that I will leave out, because they're just not necessary. Gross. Bloated. Gross. They're bad details. So the autopsy report and its conclusions have also been questioned. Uh, For instance, it does not say what the results of the rape kit and fingernail kit were or even if they were processed or done or done at all is Uh, that right since her death elisa's tumblr blog was updated presumably through tumblr's q option which allows posts to automatically publish themselves this is not a tumblr podcast not a tumblr podcast at all but her phone was not found either with her body or in her hotel room and it has been assumed to either have been stolen at some time around her death or taken by the person who put her in the tank. Yeah. Wow. So whether the continued updates to her blog were facilitated by the theft of her phone, work of a hacker, or through the queue, it is not known, nor is it known whether the updates are related to her death. I guess it depends on the blog posts. Uh, I actually actually don't have them. I looked at them a long time ago. I don't think they're they're, they're nothing. They're probably you, the queue then. Yeah, you can you can tie anything to a you know, retroactively. I feel yeah. Um, like it'd be one thing if they were text posts where it was like today I got on a plane and now I'm leaving this place. You know what I mean? Right. But it's like yeah. if it's just a queued like fashion post. Of some exactly. Sort. Yeah. Or all of yeah. a sudden she's posting about like going swimming in water tanks. Uh Something's amiss. You must not There's, get away. Okay. She never. She couldn't have gotten in there by herself and then had it closed behind her. There's just no. I way. think she could have. I don't think so. I think either. all you got to do is open it up a crack and slip your feet in because you want to go swimming and you think it's a fun idea and then you get in, and you can't get out, and you're like, Fuck. "Is there a hinge on the on the lid?" Oh, okay. It's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy, but you can get it. You can get it up, but I mean. How do you get up there to get it? She's a, a, not the tallest girl in the world. No, she was smallish. Small and petite. Petite. Oh, that was the death of Elisa That's Lamb. Oh the God. unsolved That's death of Elisa crazy, Lamb. That is so fucked up and crazy. And I just, I don't know if that was, I feel like that involved another person. There's also a theory that um, there's a a ritual called the elevator game. <gasps> oh yeah, I heard this one. Try to get to it different dimension talk to demons i should have put more research into that but i mean yeah because that's fucking really crazy necessary. the elevator game what the fuck the elevator it, game. It, it had something to do with the touch and all the buttons yeah, yeah and she touched the all buttons, the buttons, yeah. buttons and like and getting in and out and yeah stuff. on different floors the, the weird hand mu- movement. definitely watch the elevator video i think you can just google louisa lamb elevator video really and it'll fucked come up. up oh my god um there's also the theory that the ghost of richard ramirez got her I it mean, didn't, sure. but it could have. It's probably that. No, he was there once. Yeah, that's not where he died. That's not, that's not where his energy. That's not where he would decide to haunt had yeah. he had the option to ch- choose. Anyway, the option. Do you know? But you get ghost to politics. Ghost. Uh, he lost this. He lost that hotel in the election. <laughs> the ghost election. <laughs> oh my god. 
Well, all right. Can you believe the shit? Can you believe this? I'm sure I can't. I definitely can't. I'm sure I cannot. So today we had uh, Ann and Ron part two. In Ron. Ken Ron. Ken Ron. Ken Laren. Ken Ken Lays. Ken Laren. Ron Jeff Skilling. The Enron bullshit. Yes. Part two. Ken Yay. Then we had. Oh God, the murder (laughs) of Polly Class. And then we had the mysterious death of Louise the Lamb. Damn. Can you believe this shit? No. (laughs) No, I cannot. I don't want to. None of it. I have to, because it all happened. Maybe next week we'll be lighter. Maybe. Probably not. No promises. No promises. That's why I said I had no good order that I could put these in. I'm sorry. It's okay. I think this was a fine order. If I could have chosen how to do it, you would have gone last, because... All of that was just so heavy. Sure. That's just it. And mine was just like, you know, a bunch of people losing their livelihoods. And (laughs) these two fucking assholes just duped the whole country. See, Zoe and I always like murder someone, but then Lydia like ruins the livelihoods of millions of people. (laughs) So. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the real villain? (laughs) Honestly. Probably still us. As always, you can email us. Capitalism. As always, you can email us at capitalistpiggybabies at gmail.com. <laughs> at can you, sorry, that's can you believe pod at gmail.com. That's can you believe pod at gmail.com. Email us your facts, your stories, your stories you want us to do. Anything you want to tell us, tell us about yourself. Julie, how are you doing? What's <laughs> up, girl? Sandra, Sandra how are you guys doing? Great. Julie and Sandra. You can uh, find us on all social media sites at uh, CYBSPod. That's C-Y-B-S-P-O-D. That's uh, Twitter, Facebook. We post Instagram pictures of um, from our stories. So you can follow us there. Yeah. And um, also Instagram stories, which are a, a different thing. Instagram stories get posted sometimes when one of us decides that we have something to post on there and we do it. Honestly. The other day I found an alien outside in the world and I took a picture. You can see that on Instagram. If you've ever seen a swiping of our recording process, just a a weird pan and I'm not in it. It's probably me. (laughs) Probably happened. All right. So as always, um, never always remember, never forget Mothman is out there and Mothman loves you. And don't sue us, but definitely sue Ken Lane. Just kidding. Bye. Bye.